Hey, let me start off with two announcements. Parents, uh, I, the message today has mature content in it. I'm going to be talking about biblical sexuality. So if you do not want your elementary age kid in the room, our wonderful kids team has prepared an experience for them. So you can take them right now and uh, head right over there and someone will greet you and you can come right back in for our study. You can do that right now. Also, we're going to be taking uh, communion together. And so if you did not receive one of these communion cups, when you came in the door, please raise your hand and leave it up high. And we have somebody ready to bring it to you. So uh, get it up there high enough that they can see your hand and they will bring it right to you. All right. Very good. Uh, get your Bible and open up with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Usually when I do pre-marriage counseling, I get to the session on sex. And uh, the couple usually gets a little squirmy. They start looking at, their, at the floor and they're just a little uncomfortable because I get it. Nobody wants to talk to the pastor about sex. Uh, well, you may feel a little squirmy today, you know, as we're talking about these issues. But these are the issues of our time. Are they not? And we need to be addressing these things. And if you're new to our church, I want you to know we don't uh, plow around hard topics. We preach right through them according to God's word. And so I'm so thankful that the Lord addresses these things in his word. So 1 Corinthians 6 is where we're going to be today. We, uh, we live in a very sex-saturated culture. I mean, after all, we have a whole month where people celebrate their uh, sexual behaviors uh, sex is uh, celebrated in movies, in music, in commercials, and certainly in, in most uh, online uh, exposure. Uh, pornography is a multi-billion dollar uh, industry. Sex trafficking is a, is a real issue right here in the United States. One out of five kids aged 10 to 17 will be sexually solicited online at some point in their life. Uh, one half of women, one third of men uh, say they have experienced some form of sexual abuse. So sex is, is, is all around us. It, it's everywhere we turn. And for many people, it is their primary source of identity. And the place they find community is wrapped around their sexual preference. And so here's the question. How in the world do you live in a world like that? How, how do you live for Jesus in a world like that? How do you raise kids in a world like that? How do you raise grandkids in a world like that? How do you live a pure and godly life in a world like that where, where it seems so hard and so against the grain of the culture? How do you deal with your own sexual struggles and your own sexual past? That's why we're talking about this. And the Apostle Paul is writing to address those issues in 1 Corinthians 6. Remember, Corinth is a place where he planted this church. And Corinth was a, a hyper-sexualized city. It was a port city. It was a large city. We're told there were at least 26 temples there in that city, most of which employed temple prostitutes, which worked in those temples. Uh, in fact, uh, the word Corinth, the name Corinth was turned into a verb and to Corinthianize someone meant to corrupt them sexually or morally. A Corinthian girl was code for a temple prostitute. So this was ubiquitous in that community. And so here are these people that are coming out of that. They're hearing the gospel and they're a church in the middle of all of that. 
And, and so they need some instruction. This was one of the issues that they were facing. It is maybe the issue of our day. And how do we face it as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, it seems like, you know, we, we, we don't want to be accommodating and we want, don't want to be affirming of something that God says is sexual sin, but yet the other time we don't want to be harsh and negative and hateful either. And so we always kind of seem like we're finding ourselves with this strange balancing act. How do we handle this? Well, this is why we must study uh, this passage. Uh, and so let me just stop here and just say this, okay? Listen to me. Um, Hey, I, I understand that this topic uh, can be very close to home for many of you. There's probably not anyone in this room that as we talk about sexual sin, it's not bringing up senses of shame or guilt of your own sexual sin or uh, experiences of abuse that you encounter at the hands of somebody else or some struggle that you're having with pornography or struggling you're having with SSA or struggling you're having in some extramarital affair or the struggle that your marriage is in right now. And I, I understand that. I want you to know that I understand we're treading on very sensitive areas, but God wants to speak into those areas. And the best thing I can do for you if I love you as your pastor is to just bring the word to you. And let the Holy Spirit and his word do the work of healing and the work of cleansing and the work of convicting whatever he needs to do in your heart and life. So I guess I just want to ask you to open up your heart to what God has to say today. All right, don't, don't shield yourself. Just open up and receive what the Lord has to say. All right. In fact, let's just pray right now. Lord, I just pray that in these few moments, God, that you would just really open our hearts to you. Lord, we want you to speak into every area of our life and especially in this area, God. We want you to search our hearts and know us, God, and, and speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, amen, amen. Let me give you a little roadmap of where we're going. Uh, Paul addresses two misconceptions about sex in this passage. So we're gonna tackle those two. Then he deals with what I'm going to call a biblical theology of sex. Which, by the way, if you're a middle school or a high schooler here, I'm really glad you're here. You need to hear this. Parents, you need to be talking to your kids about this. A biblical theology of sex. It's right here in this passage. And then at the end of it, I'm going to give you one statement that I think can be kind of a rudder to help you navigate the issues and the challenges that you and your family will face in this area. Okay? That's where we're going. So let's, let's tackle these misconceptions. If you're taking notes, jot this first one down. First misconception is sex is no big deal. Sex is no big deal. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And by the way, this is the word of God, amen? All right. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will, be mastered by, I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, everything is permissible for me, is in quotations. This was a phrase that was being used in that church to say, you know, it's no big, it's no big deal. Paul, you're just kind of making it a big deal, and it's really not. Everything is permissible for me. I, I'm, a, I'm saved, okay? All my sin is covered by grace. Everything is okay for me. And so Paul is not agreeing with that statement. In fact, he is, 
He is addressing this statement and behind it, the attitude that what I do in my body is really no big deal, that sex is no big deal. Let me just remind you what is happening in this church that he's addressing. If you go back to chapter five, he, he, he calls them out on some sexual immorality that's actually happening in the church. There's a guy who's having some kind of sexual relationship with a stepmom. And they're like, you know, they're acting like it's okay and they're so proud of the fact that they're so tolerant. And they're so proud that they're so progressive and they're, you know, they're, they're getting with the times. And Paul's like, no, 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 this, this is not right. And he's calling them out on it. And we have that today. We have churches that are, feel like they're very progressive because they're just endorsing whatever sexual practice is happening in the culture. And, and before we get really judgy on those, yeah, those churches, go get them, pastor. Before we get to, before we start pointing the finger at them, we might ought to point it right here because how casual have you become? How casual, how insensitive have you become to sexual sin? And how you can kind of justify it in your own mind. So Paul is, uh, he's calling them out on their casual approach to sexual sin. And they're going, everything's permissible for me. So he takes that quote and he says, yeah, but, notice what he says, yeah, but not everything's beneficial. He said, yeah, you, you, everything's under God's grace, but not everything is beneficial. Your, your sexual practice outside the boundaries of what God has said, is it really beneficial for you? Uh, let's just take this at a societal level. Let's pull up 30,000 feet. Are we better as a society because we said, forget uh, God's boundaries. We're just going to do whatever we want. Are we better for that? I mean, you think about uh, rape. You think about uh, all kinds of sexual uh, sin, incest, adultery, abuse. Uh, these are the things that come out of that. And think of all the secondary uh, results of our own sexual immorality, unwanted pregnancy, abortion, fatherlessness, poverty, incarceration. All this is, uh, has at the root sexual sin. In 2015, Pew Research did a study and they showed a link between fatherlessness and poverty and incarceration and mental health and a decline in mental health. So we have to understand that while we're seeing all this chaos in our culture, that's the fruit, but you go down, sexual sin is the root of it. And we're reaping all of that. We're reaping the whirlwind culturally as a result of our, our determination to go outside of God's boundaries. What about you? Are you better because of it? Are you better because you view porn on a regular basis? Does that make you more godly? Because you have this uh, sexual encounter on your business trip? Does that make you love Jesus more? Is that helping you dive into the word? Is that helping you uh, more fired up to share your faith? No. This is making you feel more distant from God. It's, it's causing a barrier between you and God. We all know this. And so Paul is saying, first off, you, you say everything, it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah, but if this is not helping you. It's not helping you in your walk with God. In fact, this may be the big barrier that's keeping you from moving forward in your faith. This very issue. <clears throat> St. Augustine was one of the primary leaders in the early church. Brilliant mind, came from North Africa, and he was by his own admission very sexually loose and active and immoral. And, uh, and until he came to Christ, and he finally came to Christ, and he gave us this great quote. He said, you, may, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And that's really true. We have a restless heart until we can finally come at peace with the Lord. 
And so Paul is saying, listen, this is not beneficial to you. This is not helping you. In fact, this may be the very thing that's holding you back. Next, he, he quotes it again. Everything is, uh, everything is permissible for me. And he said, yeah, but I will not be mastered by anything. You may say, well, yeah, okay, pastor, I know it's not benefiting me, but it's not hurting me, right? It's not hurting me. Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, to say that is really to overlook the addictive nature of sexual sin. The sexual sin has at its root, and you talk to counselors that deal with this kind of thing, they will tell you there is a hook in it that when it gets in you, it's very hard to get away from it. One therapist put it this way, similar to a drug high, the endorphins stimulate the brain's pleasure centers, and this is what can be addictive. Therefore, when an individual repeats the sexual behavior, it triggers a chemical response, altering the brain chemistry, thus needing more of it to feel normal. This is the addictive nature. I got to have more, more frequently, more graphic, taken up a notch in order to get the same high. And this is how, why we have sexual addiction. Any kind of addiction is like a squatter in your closet. All right, they kind of set up shop in your closet. They're just kind of living. They got the bedroll there. They got their little heater in there. They got their little radio in there. They're kind of living in your closet. Next time you come home, they're taking over your closet and your living room. They're, they're watching, you're on your couch watching ESPN, right? They're reprogramming your TV to fit what they want to see. Next time you come back, they're in the kitchen and the living room. Now the next time, they're in their dining room. And the next time you come home, you're living in the closet and the addiction has everything. That's how addiction works. It takes over your life. And this is the reality for many Americans. The Mayo Clinic put it this way, 4.7 million U.S. adults spend more than 11 hours per week looking at porn online. 4.7 million. Psychology Today said 90% of young men watch porn regularly. Nine out of 10 one popular porn site uh, boasted of 90 billion views daily, 64 million visitors on a daily basis. It's just mind-boggling the number of people that are regularly putting porn in their mind. Now, let me just say this. Jesus breaks addictions. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That's your old life, man. That's who you were before you came to Christ. He's writing to Christians here. Hey, this is who you were. You were tied to this. You practice this. This is, what, this is your old life, but you're dead to that. And now you're supposed to live for Christ. And Jesus breaks the chains of addiction. In Romans chapter six, verse 14, he says, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. And it just reminds me of, you know, when in Genesis 4, when God was, 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 was warning Cain. Remember Cain? He was, he was angry with God. And he said, sin is crouching at the door. And it wants to master you, but you must rule over it. In every, uh, in every case, sin is crouching at the door for you. And it wants to master you. And if you're going, well, it's not that big a deal, you know. Yes, it is. And it will control you. And it will rule you. And it will destroy you. It'll try to take over your identity. It'll try to take over your purpose. And it will try to take over your freedom. So the first misconception is that, well, you know, it's no, no big deal. That's not true. It's a big deal. 
Second misconception is this, sex is just physical. It's just physical. Look, um, look at verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will do away with both of them. Notice again, the quotations, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. What does that mean? It just means, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just biology, man. It's just biology. It's just like I, I get hungry and I eat and I feel better. I, I have a sexual desire and I have sex and I feel better. You know, it's, it's, there's not much. It's just, it's just biology. It's all nature. And really what's behind this was platonic dualism. Uh, the philosopher Plato really taught that there were there was a, a human being was dual in nature that they had the physical sense but that they had their inner sense their soul or their spirit and he said whatever you do physically is just kind of of the earth it's mundane right and so it doesn't really matter what you do with your body because it doesn't really affect your inner self so you can you can do whatever you want with your body and yet your inner self is untouched by that. And Paul is really addressing that issue there. And he's really saying, no, 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 you, know, you were created as a whole person. And what you do, you know, yeah, the food and, and your stomach and your sex and your body, that will all you know, eventually go away. But God cares about your whole self, your whole body. He doesn't parse you out. He doesn't separate you out. Well, that's just kind of who I'm over here, but that's not really who I am on the inside. No, no, you're, you're a whole person. You're physical and spiritual and so this really kind of leads Paul into what I call this theology of sex. And by the way, if you're a parent, you need to write this down because you need to have this conversation with your kids. When you're talking about what they see and what they hear, this theology of sex is embedded right here in verses 13 through 20, okay? But let me stop right here before I get into that because I know you want to hear that. So let me just say this first. God's not against sex, okay? That's just kind of a, I kind of assume that, that you know that. I'm gonna make sure it's clear. God's not anti-sex. God, God gives us uh, sex as a gift. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift to be experienced by a man and a woman in a covenant marriage. And it's a beautiful gift of God, right? It creates intimacy. Uh, it produces children. It creates a, a, a bond, and that's a beautiful thing. But what God has given, God must govern. What God has given, God must govern. And so God has something to say about how sex should be uh, in your own life. He cares about your sex life. And uh, God's not trying to, you know, just pour water on your party here he, when God says don't, uh, remember God's a loving parent. When a parent says, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, they're not doing that just to ruin your fun. They're doing that because they love you. And don't means don't hurt yourself. And don't means don't go there because I know where that road leads. And so God, when he warns us, he's warning us to protect us. Many people have equated sex to like a fire, right? A fire in a fireplace is wonderful. It's warm. It's beautiful. It's soothing. But that same fire in your fireplace can burn your house down. If it gets out of those boundaries, it can, you can get burned. It can be destructive. And so it is with your sex life. And so here he gives us what I call a theology of sex. So let me give you a couple of points here. Number one, write this down. God created you for himself. God created you for himself. Look at verse 13. Food, uh, no, middle of verse 13. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, now what is he saying here? 
You've heard the phrase in, in, in popular culture, my body, my choice, right? You've seen people raise up their boundary, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. What, what is behind that is the idea that I it's my body, you know, I'm in control. I'm the one that ultimately has a say of what's right and what's wrong with my body. I own this. This is mine. And nobody can tell me what to do with what is mine. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I, 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 if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, your body doesn't belong to you. Your body belongs to the Lord. See, that's what he says. Your body is for the Lord. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. See that? That, that you're, you actually belong to the Lord and God cares what you do with your body. And this doesn't have only to do with sex, but it has to do with everything about your body. What you put in your body, what you put in your mind, where your eyes go, what goes in your ears, what you think about, all that, what you do and how you serve God or how you, what you do with your hands and your feet and your body, God cares about all of it. You're a whole person. What he's doing is he's attacking this dualism that they were saying, well, I can separate. No, no, you're a whole person and God cares about your body, not just your inner spirit. And then to prove that point, he goes to the gospel. He said Jesus was crucified physically in his body and Jesus rose from the dead physically with his body. Don't you know God cares about the body? Why else would Christ be raised physically? And then he goes on to say, not only was Christ raised physically and he got a body, but guess what? You're going to have a resurrected body, which he unpacks in chapter 15. And so his point is he's tying it to the gospel and he's saying, listen, your body matters to God. You're a whole person. And one day you will be, again, a whole person with a new resurrected body uh, and you are a whole person. You can't, you can't live in dualism and separate that your body belongs to the Lord. And the purpose of your body, get this, as a Christian, the purpose of your body is to glorify God in it. To bring God glory. That's what he wants. Where people look at you and go, man, God is awesome. Because he sees you. All right? So number one, God created you for himself. To know him, to follow him. That whole phrase, know and follow Jesus, that we say over and over and over every week, is a real thing. That's what God wants. He wants you to know him and to follow him with your heart, with your mind, and with your body. Second thing on this theology of sex is that sex impacts the deepest part of you. Look at verse 15. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? Should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone who joins a prostitute is one with her? For scripture says the two shall become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Remember, Corinth was filled with all these temples. And all these temples had temple prostitutes. That's what he's referring to here. And he's like, you can't just say this is no big deal. Or that, you know, it's just biology. Because there's more going on than what is physical. You know, it'd be like, they would be the people in Corinth. They're like, well, I got about 30 minutes before I have to go to the office. I'll just zip down to the temple, you know, for a little worship, you know, with a prostitute. He's like, what? No. Uh, today we would say, uh, well, you know, I got about 30 minutes before I get to work. I can, I can view some porn on my phone. Or, you know, it doesn't really matter who I go home with after the club is over. It's my body, my choice. Or, well, you know, I, I, I have an affair, but nobody knows. It's just two consenting adults. It doesn't really matter. 
Or, you know, I, I can live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and, you know, you just got to get it with the program. This is how things are done these days. And what would Paul say to that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're like, well, why not? Why not? And then he says, points right here, verse 16, the two shall become one flesh. You need to underline that. That's a really important phrase. That phrase is used four different times outside of this one in the scriptures. The first time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God takes Adam and Eve and he brings them together in the first wedding, the first marriage, okay, is right there. And he says that the two shall become one flesh. And in the confines of covenant faithful love, God injects here that sexuality produces a bond, a spiritual emotional bond that is much greater than the physical act itself. And that's why he says the two shall become one flesh. It's not just biology. There is something going on in us emotionally and something going on with us spiritually when we engage sexually. This is why sex crimes are so devastating. This is why when people are sexually active and they break up, they're so demoralized. Why? Because there has been this unity, this bond emotionally, physically, sexually, spiritually that is now being ripped apart apart. 